The 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, did something one Sunday morning that he has never done before. He came to the pulpit to preach without his Bible. He has never done that. The prince of preachers with no open Bible was never seen before. But on this Sunday, he was making a point. And he started and said to the congregation that some have found fault with him as he preached that he was too old-fashioned, always quoting scriptures and the Bible, that he didn't say enough about science and the culture around him. So Spurgeon started with no Bible. And this is what he said. Well, we have here a poor widow today in our church who just lost her son, who is a Christian boy, to a tragic accident. We buried him yesterday and did his funeral. So now let's turn to science for some answers here on this boy's issue. Science, will she see him again? What do you have to say about that science? Long pause, nobody had anything to say. Science, will he be in eternity? Silence. Science, is there life beyond the grave and there's hope for this young man and for this widow? Nobody said anything. And then Spurgeon went on and said, this woman is anxious to know something about science and we're waiting for you to answer. We need answers, science, for beyond the grave. Answers about eternity. But obviously you have nothing to say for this woman who is grieving. And then Spurgeon at that point said, then I shall turn to the book that has something to say about this woman's situation. And Spurgeon clinched the Bible and read this promise from John chapter 11. Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even if he dies, shall live forevermore. The Bible has something to say about eternity. Listen, every expert in government and science have limits and limitations. When it comes to the big questions of life, our politicians, our scientists, and our professors can tell us to some degree some things, but they can't describe everything. They can't describe the situation of the whys and what you ought to do, and, and let alone give you the power to do it. And when it comes to life after life, listen to me, church, only an eternal God can speak about eternity. Only the eternal scriptures can speak about eternity. Science has limits. That's why we turn to a limitless God who gives us the answers. And our souls are longing for those answers. One Nobel Prize winning scientist was so wise when he said this. He said, the first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist. But at the bottom of every glass, God is waiting for you. And today, like Spurgeon, I shall open the book. I shall open the Bible and let the eternal God speak about eternity today. There is something, those that are here in person, those that are watching online, there is something in every heart called eternity. Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, he, God, has set eternity in their hearts. He has put eternity forever. Thinking of life after life is put in every single one of you. Explains a lot to me because we are creatures of time. It's in our hands, our faces, our hair, our legs, our eyes. Stuff starts breaking down. We get gray. We get slow. We get achy because there's time in these bodies. Yet all the while, while there's time in our bodies, we have eternity in our hearts. And listen to me, get this. Eternity may not be immediate, but it is imminent. It is coming. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, was considered to be one of the most spiritual presidents. He was a committed believer, and he knew where he was gonna spend eternity. When he was coming to his 80th, when he was on his 80th birthday, he was walking down the streets of Boston. He was very close to his final days. And on his 80th birthday, John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, was walking very slow on a Boston street. And a friend asked him, he said, how is 
John Quincy Adams today. Now listen to, listen to time in the body. This is the former, but, but yet eternity in his heart. The former president graciously replied, here's what he said. Thank you, John Quincy Adams is well, sir, quite well. He says, but the house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated. He says, it's tottering on the foundations. Time and seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its roof is pretty well worn out. The walls are shattered. It trembles with every wind. Now listen to this part. The old tenant is becoming almost uninhabitable. And I think John Quincy Adams will have to move out of this house pretty soon. But he himself, he's doing quite well. He's doing quite well. What John Quincy Adams was saying is this. Time, my body, is fading away. But eternity in my heart is excited for what's coming, that there is life after life. Hallelujah. See, there is a warfare between eternity in our hearts and time in our bodies. That is why the more you search to get happiness in time without God, who is eternal, it's always a dead end. The battle is whether you choose time or eternity to make you happy. And you have to choose that now. There's something about mortality and death. We don't want to talk about it anymore. It hinders us from our choosing. We have people, they take vitamins and drink green tea to prolong time. They bathe in essential oils and thieves every single night so they can prolong eternity. Now let me just tell you, you may live longer doing this stuff, but whether you eat tofu or Twinkies, <laughs> understand something very clearly. You will face eternity. I just learned that New statistics on death around the world, it says that three people die every second. That's 180 people die each minute. 11,000 people die each hour. And listen to this. That means 250,000 people every day go into eternity. 250,000 people go into eternity. It's unavoidable and it's undeniable that one day one of us, that people that are sitting in this place will become part of that 250,000, but we try to sanitize this topic. Years ago, I remember this from my, even my own grandmother who died in our home. My parents took care of her in her home. Today, we put people in a hospital, a nursing home. We try to keep death so far from us. We think out of sight, out of mind. We don't even let our pets die. We put them to sleep, and we wonder why our kids won't take Naps. We use nice phraseology to deal with death. We say things like, he is no longer with us. She has passed away. But none of this changes the definitiveness of death. I've heard that they call now funeral home directors eternal management care centers. People don't care about what you call it. They just, don't, they just want to avoid it, and they will avoid it any way they can because eternity is in our hearts, and so we always are fighting that choice. I just read an article last week that Saudi Arabia is now spending $1 billion a year to slow down aging to prevent you to, from, from going into eternity. From Google founder Larry Page to Jeff Bezos, they're all put in hundreds of million dollars because they're trying to, to prolong the inevitable. I was reading about cryonics in California that take rich, dead bodies and put them in liquid hydrogen one day, hoping that they will wake up again. They freeze either their head, which is cheaper, or their whole body. They charge $75,000, and then you have to pay $10,000 a month, like a New York apartment, to keep them in a freezer each year. But I've got good news for Saudi Arabia. I've got good news for Jeff Bezos and Larry Page. You can stop your research, because all of you are going to live forever. You really are. There's life after life. So stop trying to prolong it. It's just not the way you want it to happen. Because the Bible lets us know there is a life after this life. The Apostle Paul tells us something powerful 
in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, the things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that we can't see now are going to last forever. Those things that we're talking about, those things that he says that you can't see now, that's eternity. That's the forever part that Saudi Arabia and, and all the billionaires are missing. Always remember this, Times Square Church. Our life on earth is the first page of a never-ending story. The moment you are born, you live forever, life after life. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must either be true or false. And then listen to what Lewis says. He says, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if you're going to live just 70 years. But you'd better bother about very seriously if you're going to live forever. You better bother about this. You will see on cemetery stones, headstones, a little symbol called a dash between the day you were born and the day that you died. And that dash represents every choice. It represents everything that you've done in this life. It represents you being here this morning or you watching online from Norway or you watching online from the United Arab Emirates. That little dash has, has all of our decisions, all of our choices, all of our relationships, our marriage, our children, our grandchildren are all there. Every decision, every impact, every hurt, every good time and every bad time in that little dash, that little hyphen between birth date and death date is all in there. And here's the question. What are you doing with your dash? That really is the question. Because on the other end of that dash really is heaven or hell is on the other end of the dash. And we have to understand Folks, let me say this to you. Heaven and hell are real places. They are a place on the map. It is life after life. So today, I want to give you a glimpse of life after life. I want to take you into a glimpse of heaven in Revelation chapter 7. And then I want to give you a glimpse of hell from Luke chapter 16. Probably the most prolific and the most specific talk about what happens in hell that you can ever read in the Bible that Jesus gives to us himself. But first, a glimpse of heaven from Revelation chapter 7. The Bible talks about three heavens. The first heaven we see by day. The second one we see by night. But it's the third one we see by face. And this is the heaven we're going to talk about. Heaven is mentioned 500 times in the Bible. I think it's John 14 that gives the best definition of heaven and calls it my father's house, our home. Folks, let me give you good news. The saved go to heaven immediately after their deaths. Second Corinthians 5, 6 says it like this. Now we look forward with confidence to our heavenly bodies, realizing that every moment we spend in these earthly bodies is time spent away from our eternal home in heaven with Jesus. We know these things are true by believing, not by seeing. And we are not afraid, but we are quite content to die. For then we will be at home with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've, I think I understand now. When I would hear David Wilkerson or even Pastor Carter would say things like this, I'm ready to go be with Jesus. I think I finally understand it. Sometimes after you fight and fight and fight, I'm just telling you folks, I think just sometimes I'm ready to go be with Jesus. Anybody ever feel that way? You just go, I am ready. It's not, it's not inside of us. Some people may look at us going like, why are you wishing that? Because that's our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. We, we, we start, the, the closer we get there, we're starting to realize that's where we want to be. We're not afraid of death. And that's why I begin to realize this is, this is when, where, where we want to go. I've been singing all week long. I made the choir sing with me the song that I've been singing all week, week long, just going, God, I, I, I believe this, and it's rejoicing in my heart. How many remember this old song? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all... See Jesus, 
will sing and shout the victory. You, you're going to have to sing better, okay? You're going to have to sing. Come on, online, I don't care who's watching with you. They may think you're out of your mind in the airport singing this. And it goes this, when we all get to what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout. Come on, let's sing it one more time. When we all sing it, church. We'll sing. Hallelujah. So let me tell you about heaven. Let me tell you about life after life. A vision that John, the revelator, gives to us in Revelation 7. This is what he says. He says, and after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can count from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne of God, hallelujah, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Folks, a great multitude, that's us. Folks, it's every nation, all tribes, peoples, and tongues. Folks, people are fighting for diversity today. You want diversity? Go to heaven, and you're gonna get diversity in heaven. Every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, Folks, if you want to fight, fight for eternity. Because that's what you see every nation join together. I want people to walk into Times Square Church and to see nations from all over the world. And I want them just to get a little glimpse of heaven. It's to remind us constantly that God's bringing us all over there into heaven. I love this, folks. There's no black line, white line, Indian line, Hispanic line, Chinese line, Arabic line. It is we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ on that day, which tells me this. Here it is. Get ready for this. If God is your father and Jesus is your savior, then I'm your brother. You have to understand that. Our DNA is found in Jesus. That's where it comes from. It goes there. And the Bible says in verse 10, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God. See, when we get there, we start to join a worship service already in progress. The angels and the elders are already worshiping. What are they saying, Pastor Tim? It's verse 12. Look at what they're saying. They said, amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. See, when you get to this verse, worship has been mounting and building. It's been, it's been revving up throughout the book of Revelation. I want to show you how it increases from chapter 1 to chapter 7. I have to show you this. It's really four movements of praise. Watch this now. In Revelation 1, 6, you're going to see two notes of praise as the book starts. It says this, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Two notes, glory and dominion. But that's not enough in heaven. It just gets higher and higher. And then you get to Revelation chapter 4, and there's three notes of praise. Listen to verse 11 of chapter 4. Worthy are you, Lord our God. Here it comes. To receive what? Glory, honor, and power. But that's still not enough for the Lamb of God. It rises up to four notes of praise. In Revelation 5, 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here it comes. Be what? Blessing, honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. Four notes of praise. And then when you get to Revelation chapter 7, the perfection of praise rises up. Seven notes of praise as the elders fall before the throne of God in verse 11 and start saying amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever and ever. Praise just rises in heaven. And then all of a sudden, 
Heaven stops. The worship service stops right in the midst of seven notes of praise. And somebody says, who are these guys worshiping with us? Look what it says. And one of the elders, verse 13, said, hey, I added the hey. These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? That's us. He said, this is where we've just interrupted the heaven praise service. Who are these folks from the Bronx? Who are these folks from Brooklyn? There's even people here from New Jersey. Manhattan, Brooklyn. There's people here from South Africa, from Nigeria, from Russia. There's Russians and Chinese in the same place. Russians and Ukrainians, Indians, Italians, Mexicans. Who are these people in the middle of this worship service clothed in white? Verse 14. And I said to him, my Lord, you know, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulations who have washed their robes and made them white, hallelujah, in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah! I started to read this, and I came up, I I discovered three things in glory that I want to read to you. I just want you to write these down. Three discoveries in glory, because you're going to see an invitation you never deserved. A gratitude you don't even have enough of words to express. And a life like you've never imagined. Let me say that again. An invitation you didn't deserve. A gratitude you never have enough words to express. And a life like you've never imagined. You really have, and I have no idea what we're about to experience in heaven. It's an invitation you've never deserved. Look at this, verse 14. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. R.T. Kendall, who speaks here once a month on Tuesday night, said it like this, Christianity is the only religion in the world that promises we get to heaven as a result of what God does for us, not what we do for God. Listen, Christianity is the only identity received, not achieved. It's given to us to be sons and daughters. You don't earn that. It comes through the blood of the Lamb. That's how it comes. You don't get it from being good. You don't get it from riding bicycles and holding briefcases and selling magazines and not hurting. Folks, listen to me. God's justice has been completely and eternally satisfied by what Jesus did for us when he shed his blood on the cross for us. That's why that phrase is so important, washed in the blood of the Lamb. I was reading about a problem in Mass- at a Massachusetts library in Peabody, Massachusetts. The problem was that the library was right next to a kid's restaurant called Chuck E. Cheese. And the problem with Chuck E. Cheese is they have an arcade and you have to put money in a token machine and get tokens. And the library was, had to put it on social media. They said, we're having a, and this is what they wrote, they said, They made a public statement that says, we have a growing trend among those who come toward the public library. They're paying their library fines with Chuck E. Cheese tokens. And he says, it is reminding you that that is not legal tender. It's not legit cash. You can't pay for a late book with a Chuck E. Cheese token. It's not a legitimate payment. And all I kept thinking about is how many people try to get into heaven with your own currency, and it can't get you there. You can't get you there by being good enough. You can't get there by who you're associated with. You can't get there through water baptism. You can't get there by some denomination. You can't get there because you're a Jew, a Muslim. You can't get there because you're Protestant or Catholic. It is the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone that can get you into heaven. That's it. That's the only currency that can get you there. It's also a gratitude you've never will have enough of words to express. How do you, what do you mean, Pastor Tim? Someone some years ago, many years ago, gave Cindy and I tickets oh, to Yankee Stadium. And that, whenever people give us tickets, it never works out. We are always in the heavenly 
of heavenlies. It's just that noses are bleeding and all those things happen. Whenever tickets are free, they're usually never good. And somebody gave us free tickets and we had no expectation. But when we got to the stadium, the usher kept bringing us closer and closer and closer and closer to we were right behind home plate. I'm just telling you, the food was better. The air was cleaner. The view was better. I, ha I have good news for you. You may arrive late in heaven, but where they're going to seat you is pretty amazing. <laughs> what do you mean, Pastor Tim? Verse 9 and verse 15 of Revelation 7 gives you the seating chart of heaven. You are going to be right in front of the throne. Folks, the angels are around the throne, but you're going to be ushered right past them. You're going to be going past the people who have been in heaven for millenniums, and you're all of a sudden going like, where, where are these tickets? And they're going to keep walking you down, walking you closer. Listen to it in verse 15. For this reason, they are right before the throne. They will serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. These angels who are creatures of righteousness, but we have Jesus' righteousness on us. The righteousness of Jesus is now covering us. And he says, just... He says, they will bring you down all the way to the very front. And here's what's amazing. This is what happens. He says this. He says, when he brings you down, and I've had this happen to me before, they're going to give you something to worship with. If you ever gone to a sporting event, they'll give you like a, 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 a towel to wave or these things called thunder sticks that you just you, you, you bang together. He says, I'm going to give you something for, the, for, for, for these good seats that you're going to have. He says, when you get to the front, the Bible says in verse 9, you're going to receive a palm branch. So you're going to have something to cheer with. The palm branch, the Jews used to take the palm branches at the Feast of Tabernacles, and when the harvest was over, the community would come together, and they would wave those palm branches. And what it meant was this. We started working here. We've gone through some difficult times, but the harvest has come in. That this is where we started, but thank God we made it to the end. See, the angels don't have any palm branches because they haven't been through any battles. The angels don't get that because they have never known what it's like to worship with a diagnosis of cancer. The angels can't get a palm branch because they don't know what it's like to come to church with a splitting headache and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world am I going to do this? But despite how I'm feeling, he's still worthy to be praised. Those angels didn't battle. They didn't fight. They didn't resist. They didn't stand with the armor of God. Those angels didn't weep in prayer and pray through that you have a palm branch that says, I am here by nothing else but the grace of God. There's an old, old song that Times Square Church Choir used to sing when the doors opened up here on 51st and Broadway that says, there's a song in my heart that the angels can't sing, and it's redeemed. It's a song that says, you don't know what we've been through. You've been in heaven this whole time. You've never lived in Staten Island, so you don't know what we go through here. You have no idea of the battles that we've got. You don't know how it was to get to church with a messed up husband. You don't know what it was like to worship with prodigal kids, but somehow by the help of the Holy Ghost, I was able to lift my hands. I was able to sing. I was able to rejoice. I was able to say God is worthy. Even though there was a hurt in my heart, I knew there was a God. God on the throne that is there and I worshiped him despite the condition of my life I'm telling you I'm telling you I know what it's like to preach with junk going on 
Ever go to a game and see somebody with those handkerchiefs and those thunder sticks getting a little too crazy with them? And they're over there and they're doing all this. Folks, I'm telling you, that is going to be me in heaven. That is going to be me. You're going to go, you never should have given him that palm branch. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hit people with him going, I'm here. I made it. I'm in heaven. I got here. Jesus is worthy. You may, listen, you don't know what I've battled, but I'm telling you that palm branch is going around and around. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory to God. Give me my robe. Give me my box seats and give me my palm branch. I'm telling you right now, I am, listen, I didn't fight all this way to go to hell. I have fought because I'm going to heaven to be right before that throne. I believe what the book says. I believe what the book says. I believe what the book says. I'm sorry, Gabriel. I'm sorry, Michael. I don't think I've ever preached to angels before, but you've never resisted pornography on the internet. You've never had to sing a song with cancer in your body. You never had to lift your head with arthritis. You never had to praise him when you knew you only had weeks to live. I'm sorry, angels. You don't know what it's like. That's why God sees songs on earth greater than the songs in heaven. But these folks in white robes and palm branches get the attention of those angels. Those white robes mean it's through Jesus. And those palm branches mean you've gone through the battle. That's what that means. When I have the robe on me, that robe, it means I'm here because of Jesus. When I've got that palm branch, it means we've gone through the battles. If there's no pain, then there's no palm. And if there's no cross, then there's no crown. See, why is it important for us to think this way? Why would you preach? I know everybody is going like, tell us how to, how, you know, how to make it through money. Tell us leadership principles and tell folks, I, I'm done with all that. Let me just tell you something. Go, this is not your, if you want to hear about eternity, if you want to hear what the Bible says, I'm not here to give you principles I'm here to tell you this is important for us to think about heaven and eternity. Why? Listen to Romans 8.18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I love this word, not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Don't, don't miss this. That is about to be revealed. Just look at that verse again. I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories that is to be revealed. That the, these were fighting words. Look at that verse. These are fighting words. That every time you're tempted, you'll be able to look at that thing and go, not worthy. Not worthy. Not worthy for me to give in to this. Not worthy for me to turn that die. Not worthy for me to go to that website. Not worthy for me to commit adultery. Not worthy for me to go into Pernod. Not worthy for me to hold on to an offense and be angry with somebody. Not worthy for me to go ahead and get angry with God because I didn't like the diagnosis from a doctor. Not worthy to be angry with the church going, I'm not going to church. Some of you said that. Listen to me. Some of you are sitting at home. You snuck on to watch us today. Because you told everybody, I don't go to church anymore. There are hypocrites in there. And you snuck on today. You snuck on today. I know it. I know it. Some of you are watching today, and all of a sudden you're about to go, how does he know? Come back home. Come back home. Just slip just because you're... you're some people go and go online to their church watching. It's not going to be the same without me. I'm not there anymore. So it's not going to be. Folks, let me just tell you, the church is a battleship. It's going on all the way to glory. And I'm just telling you, just get on the ship. It's going all the way to glory. It's going to where it's supposed to be. And those fighting words, not worthy. It's not worthy. I'm just telling you, offense, it's not worthy compared to the glories to come. It's not worthy of it. It's an invitation 
we've never deserved the gratitude. We can't say thank you enough. And let me just say this. It'll be an experience of life like you never imagined. Listen to what he says. They will hunger no longer. They'll thirst no longer. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat for the lamb in the center of the of, of the lamb is the center of the throne will be their shepherd, will guide them to springs of the water of life. And here's my favorite part. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every tear from their eyes. I'm telling you, there is a white robe. There is a box seat. And there is a palm branch. Just look for me. The crazy kid with a palm branch going Get that from him or he's going to hurt somebody in heaven. I'm telling you, I'm going to be the most excited person to be in heaven because it's only by the grace of God. Because when the, I'm telling you, when heaven seats me down front, I'm, I'm going to say stuff to angels as I walk by going, excuse me, sorry, excuse me, excuse me, I know you've been here, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me. Oh. Are these our seats? Thank you very much. Are these our seats? I'm telling you, I'm going to make a big deal of it where I'm sitting. I'm telling you, there will be no, well, I guess you have to be humble in heaven. But just one time, I'm going to go, God, let me walk with pride and arrogance to go, excuse me, Gabriel, excuse me, Michael. These are my seats right here, washed in the blood of the Lamb gone through every battle, and here today because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dr. Billy Graham tells the story. Early in his ministry, he arrived in a small town to preach a sermon, and he was wanting to mail a package. And he asked the young boy where the post office was. When the boy told him, Dr. Graham thanked him and said, if you come to church tonight, I'm going to tell you how to get to heaven. And the little boy thought about it and said, no, thank you, sir. I don't think I'm going to come tonight. He says, you don't even know how to get to the post office. How in the world are you going to tell me how to get to heaven? <laughs> there are some people that say, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. And I answer that if there is no hell, then there is no heaven. Because your only authority for believing in heaven is the Bible, which also teaches about hell. It's not always realized that Jesus spoke more often of hell than of heaven. Because to Jesus, the consequences of unforgiven sin were so terrible to even contemplate. Let me close by just giving you a glimpse of hell for just the next few moments. Luke chapter 16. We've gone from the glories of heaven, now a glimpse of hell. It was the great Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers from Memphis, Tennessee, who tells a great story that in Chicago many years ago, there was a nightclub in downtown Chicago called the Gates of Hell. But what was so ironic is that down the street from the Gates of Hell was a church called Calvary Church. And Adrian Rogers says there was a young man who wanted to go to the nightclub. And so he asked a stranger on the street, can you tell me how to get to the gates of hell? And the stranger said, you go right past Calvary and then you come to the gates of hell. I want to I tell you, I want to just give you one quick glimpse of heaven for a second. Get this. The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars of Jesus. It's the only man-made thing in heaven. Everything originated in heaven. The only thing that God allowed to be in heaven that was man-created from the man's sinful hands was the scars of Jesus. He allows them to be there. We have to ignore those scars and what God has done on the cross of Calvary to get to the gates of hell. It's not easy to get to the gates of hell. Because you have to ignore those scars that were put on the body of Jesus, on those hands, his side, his, his, his forehead, his feet. But for those in heaven, we will see those scars every day in front of us as we are in front of the Lamb at the throne of God. Hell, get this, is the only possible reaction 
for a holy God to unforgiven sin. Hell is the only possible reaction. What would you think of a judge that would look at a child molester or a murderer and say, I forgive you, but don't do it again? We would be outraged. We would never want that judge to have any authority or to sit on a bench. Something in us knows that justice is right, that wrongs need to be made right at some time. But here's our dilemma. Listen to me now, everybody. Our dilemma is we want justice, but we don't want hell. We want justice, but we don't want hell. Hell is when God makes things right. It's one of the most profound things you'll see over the book of Psalms, where the psalmist begins to rejoice over judgment in the book of Psalms, like praise for judgment. Why? Because it's God putting things right and making things right. Folks, hell was my bill and my eternal destination. And if hell is the final justice of God, I don't shake God's hand and say, thank you. Okay, listen carefully for a moment. If there is no hell, then Sunday church is just a bunch of respectable people that shakes God's hand and says, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. But if there is a hell, then Sunday is a bunch of people that fall at his feet and say, thank you for rescuing us from hell. Because hell doesn't just deal with wicked people. Hell deals with all humanity. But what if you can hear from someone who has died and can tell you about it? That's Luke 16. Luke 16 is one of the most fearful chapters in all the New Testament. It's in the New Testament. And it's spoken by Jesus. It's a glimpse from beyond death. I've heard the, and read the stories of people that said that they died and saw light and visited heaven. Some, some have visited hell. And I've heard all these stories. And some I'm skeptical. Some have a ring of truth to it. It's always amazing to me when people go beyond, and they call it OBE, out-of-body experience, and they go beyond. And immediately they tell you what they saw and write books about it. But it was the Apostle Paul that saw heaven and said, for 14 years I couldn't even open up my mouth. But we have somehow, we can get contracts with book dealers to tell our story. Paul says, I couldn't even speak about what I saw but yet we're gonna write books about it. That's, that's my first inclination. It goes like, I, I'm not sure we're supposed, because I don't need your vision of hell. I need to know what the Bible says. That's the one we know. So this is what the Bible says. Here it is. This is what Jesus said. Jesus' story. This isn't, this isn't somebody's OBE. This is Jesus saying this is what happened. And I'll explain to you why this is, this is epic. Jesus said, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in the splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at the gate covered with sores. Two people. Longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Isn't that interesting? You have a rich and a poor. They both die. Isn't it interesting? that it was the poor man that was carried away and the, by, by angels, and the rich man was just buried by people. And in Hades, another word for hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool. That, that, that part made me mad when I read this. I'm going, here's the rich man still trying to make the poor man serve him. Get, get that poor guy. Let him bring some water to me. For I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you recognized your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this between us, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here will not be able that none may cross over from there to us. And then he said this, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house then, for I have five brothers, in order that they may warn them that they will also not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, 
They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He was speaking about the Bible, the written scriptures. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent, which this man has no idea realizing that someone did come to them from the dead, which was Jesus. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. It's life after life. That's what it is. Eternity is life after life. And, and I kept asking this question, and, and I think you have to look at this with me for a moment. Is this history or is it a parable? A parable is just a story, just a, a story for Jesus to talk about things. And folks, we're reading history here. Let me explain to you why. Parables start with people that have no names. A certain man went here, or the kingdom of heaven is compared to, not here, in this parable, you get a name, Lazarus, right there. He's giving, there's not one parable you can find that Jesus told where he uses a specific name. He says there was a certain man. He uses that phrase all over the Bible. Both men die in the story, rich and poor. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, it is destined that men die only once. And after that comes the judgment. So here's the question. When you think of your, the length of your life, don't think about 70, 80 years, but here it is. What is the length of every man's life? Here it is. It's forever. It's everlasting. The day you were born, you then become everlasting and you live forever. Once born, the existence of man becomes as everlasting as the existence of God. His length on earth may be 70 or 80 years, and the Bible calls that a vapor. But here's what I want to tell you. Your departed friends and family still exist right now in eternity. The funerals you attended just ended the 70, 80 years. They live forever. When the rich man and the poor man were born, they were born both without Christ. But when the rich man and the poor man died, Lazarus had Christ and the rich man had nothing. Or let me say it like this. The rich man had everything but God, and the beggar had nothing but God. That was the difference. That's what took place. So here's the question. What was the sin of the rich man? What was the sin that sent him to hell? Here it is. The sin of the rich man was contentment without God. That's what it was. You don't read about a murderer. You don't read about a guy who, didn't, you know, who, is, who is committing adultery. It's contentment without God. The rich man lived his life without God. What was Jesus telling us from this sobering story? This is where I want to conclude, but, I, but I'm gonna, you're going to have to write fast because this is important. Here's what I think God was saying. Get this down because I want to build from this, and then we're, we're, we're going to close here. Here it is. Here's what I think Jesus was telling us. Get this down. Hell is truth seen too late. Hell is truth seen too late. Let, let me explain it like this. You ready? Here it comes. Every atheist becomes a believer one second after they die. Every atheist is a believer one second after they die. All that they built their life on as an agnostic and an atheist. Listen to me, because some of you are sitting in the balcony, and they may, I don't mean like only atheists go to the balcony, but just <laughs> not saying that. I know that there are strong believers up there. If you believe in Jesus in the balcony, wave your hands at me. Okay. <laughs> Amen. I'm so sorry. It sounds like all, all are atheists and only the believers are down here. But I want you to understand something. You can build on this, on all this. Stuff, but one moment at the second after you die, everyone becomes a believer. Let me tell you why hell is truth, but hell is truth seen too late. Jot these down because you're gonna see this in the story. Very quickly, let me go through. He saw heaven too late. He saw heaven too late. He never longs for a savior on earth. The rich man was content without a savior in this life, but as soon as he was in hell, he realized, he lifted up his eyes, and the Bible says he saw Abraham afar off. He looked and saw beyond. How agonizing for those in hell to see beyond. Until he was in hell, the rich man didn't see anything but his own personal life. 
never saw eternity, only what he was doing that day, that week, his investments. He saw heaven too late. Number two, he prayed too late. Folks, look at this. Because what you read in, in Luke 16, it's a prayer meeting that was in hell. Hell had a prayer meeting. The rich man not only sees heaven too late, but his very first act in hell was to do what he never did on earth, and he prays. He cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He was supposed to say that when he was alive. No sooner was he in hell that he, was, that he starts praying. And folks, let me just say this to you. Listen, all of us at one day are gonna pray, but it's your choice of where you're gonna pray. Could be right here on 51st and Broadway or in just a few moments online, I hope. He was not in hell for more than one verse and he starts praying. But here's the third thing, jot this down. He was thirsty too late, too late. If he would have prayed on earth, God would have given him rivers of living water. But now he can't even get a drop of water. God, God was offering rivers and he couldn't even get a drop now. For on earth, he felt no need for what he wanted in hell. Folks, I want to take a side note for just a second here. I believe that the torment of thirst that this rich man felt in hell when he cried for water is what Jesus paid for and felt so you and I would never have to ever feel this. What do you mean, what do you mean Pastor Tim? Remember what Jesus said on the, on the cross? He said, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, he fulfilled the scripture, and then Jesus said these words, I am thirsty. That's the cry of hell. I'm thirsty. Folks, Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. I don't think it was a physical need to help him make it through, but it was carrying your and my torments in hell. He carried it for us on the cross. He experienced thirst so we could experience rivers of living water today. And not only did he get thirsty too late and pray too late, see heaven too late, but get this, he prayed to the wrong person. Father Abraham, seriously? Folks, think about this. He prays to Father Abraham. And that, in fact, that prayer could never be answered by Father Abraham. Even if this prayer was offered up on earth, it would not be answered. It's the only instance in the scripture of a man praying in a sense to a saint, and it bore no fruit at that moment. If only this man could have felt the need on earth. You must deal with the thirst you feel right now. Right now is what we're called to do. And it's so incredible because this man, I, I, I see, felt all five senses in hell. He opened his eyes. He opened his mouth. He knew the water, craved the drop. He had the feelings because he said he was being tormented. He knew he was being tormented by the flames. All of these feelings, the five senses were alive, even in hell. Folks, can I just say this to you today? And this, I think this is what caught me off guard for us as a church. And I want to say this to those online and in person. I want you to listen. I want to speak to you pastorally for just give me 90 seconds to do this. There are some of you that literally you'll reach for your keys. You'll turn us off. Whenever you hear me get to that part of people being born again. When that should be the moment that we should intercede for people. We are trying to make an exit so you can get 10 minutes out faster. Beat the crowds to the parking lot. And we're dealing with people that are going to hell. And, and instead of turning us off, going, I've heard this before, then become an intercessor. And if you're going to heaven, then praise God. But it's a challenge for us not to try to get out of the service. It's a challenge for us to go, listen, I don't want anybody going to hell, Luke 16. I want every man that they would go to heaven. I want these people to go. Well, and here's what happens. I don't want to be the only one that goes to heaven. I want to bring as many people as I can with me to get to heaven. And that's why we become intercessors. We're speaking of people's eternity. And it's always the famous question. Some of you are sitting here today asking this question. Here's the question. If God is a loving God, how can he send people to hell? I, I, I hear it all the time. If God is a loving God, how can he send people to hell? And that's such an incriminating question. Because you picked and choose certain words to indict God and to exonerate you. 
How about this? Instead of saying, how could a loving God send people to hell? How about this? How about using, how can a holy God send sinful people to hell? Because it makes, when you ask that question or pose it that way, and I know what the motive is, it makes God the villain and humanity the victim. God doesn't judge, or let me put it this way, God judges criminals, not victims. And man wants to be considered a victim and not an offender of a holy God. It's a challenge for all of us, folks. And finally, he was an evangelist too late. An evangelist too late. The rich man prayed a second prayer and he said, I beg you, Father, that you would send to my father's house, I have five brothers, that you would warn them. What would you write back from hell if you had the opportunity? This man wanted to get a message to his five brothers not to come here. Hell made this man an evangelist too late. Too late. He prayed too late. He saw heaven too late. He thirsted too late. And now he's an evangelist too late. Think of the, think of the challenge that we are faced with today. Glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of hell, eternity in the balance. Everyone that is listening to my voice, and I close with this today. Solomon had said eternity is in our hearts. That's the first verse we read, Ecclesiastes, as the band comes. Ecclesiastes 3.11. All of us have eternity in our hearts. But then Solomon says this. He gives another important plea to remember before life is over. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 12.6. He says, remember him, God. This is where we close. Before the silver cord is broken, the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cist. These are all images of death. He says, and then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. He says, remember him before the silver cord is snapped. Remember God. Remember, here it comes, that there is life after life. Finish. Let me finish. The university that I graduated from, I was asked to come back there and speak to the medical students, the Christian Medical Student Society. And they said, would you come back and talk to all the, the, those that are going to med school from those who are going to be nurses, those who are going to be doctors. And it was a, it was a privilege to, to come back to my old university and, and do their Bible study for all of them. Soon to be doctors and soon to be nurses. And as soon as I finished, it was the oddest invitation I think I can ever have. And I, it, it was this. They said, Pastor Tim, we'd like to take you to the basement and show you, I'd like to show you the cadavers that we work on for science. But folks, I have to tell you, I wasn't feeling it at first. I was just going like, no, there is no way I'm going to a basement to look at cadavers. And he said, this one soon-to-be doctor goes, I'd like to show it to you. I go down into the bowels of this medical building. We go down to a place that they work on cadavers. And he says, I want to show you what I'm working on here. And folks, he shows me a human heart. And in that heart was this accentuated, this, this standout yellow line that went through it. It looked like a yellow thread. And he said, that's it, Pastor Tim, because that's it. He said, when that gets clogged, when that gets clogged, he says, it's the number one killer. That little yellow thread has ended more lives than any other thing in our country. I said, what? Folks, I saw it. A yellow thread. Look at me for a moment. Some of you live like that yellow thread is like the Lincoln Tunnel. It's a thread. Do you know what? Get this down. Heaven and hell are not faraway places. It's by a thread that we are here today. A thread. 
And we're playing with eternity. We're playing with forever. And not understanding how important this is. The story goes that a fellow was walking past the cemetery when he noticed this tombstone with the following inscription on it. This is what it said. It said, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you are sure to be. So may I say, as now I lie, prepare yourself to follow me. Well, the guy didn't like that. And so he took a piece of chalk and wrote underneath it and said, he took out the chalk, wrote underneath the inscription, this is what he wrote, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Eternity is in the balance for some of you. Some of you are playing with church. Some of you are playing with so many different folks. It's the decision of your life. It's either a glimpse of glory or it's a glimpse of what Jesus describes in Luke 16. Folks, I get it. Look at me. I get it. This is not what people want to hear when they come to church, but I have to tell you, it's what we need to hear when we come to church. I'm telling you, because I believe this. You've heard me say this probably 50 times. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It's too long to be wrong. Get your heart right with God. Get your heart right with God. Whereas Thomas Watson said, the great, the great Puritan writer, he said, eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset, but eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Folks, I'm just telling you, I'm getting a box seat, I'm getting a robe, and I'm getting a palm branch. I'm telling you that right now. I'm getting that. Uh, I'm I'm not praying to, I'm praying now, I'm thirsty now, I'm evangelizing now, I'm praying to the right person, Jesus himself, I'm going right to the place that God has prepared for me, I'm going home one day, I'm going to the Father's house. How about you? Stand with me today. I, I know we've gone long. No apologies. I have no apologies. Now, here it comes. Here we go. Don't run out. Start to pray right now. Start to pray. I don't care if you put on coats and everything else. That's fine. But don't sit there and go, let's, let's hurry up. Let's get to the Hampton Inn. Let's get people to heaven, okay? Can we just do that? People online, don't just kind of go like, I know this ABCs. It's ABCs. It's ABCs. We're trying to get people to heaven. Folks, Eternity is in the balance. And this is what Jesus said. Some of you are going, I want to go to heaven. Here's what Jesus said. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. That's it. So whatever you come up with, how do you know this, Pastor Tim? This is what Jesus said. So if anybody knows the directions to his own home, it's Jesus. He knows it better than any one of you in this place. So if you have any other idea on how to get to heaven and it doesn't include the word being born again, you've got the wrong directions. And today, you better get some new directions. And here they are. Jesus said, you must be born again. What does it mean, Pastor Tim? It means this. Just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Those that are watching online, listen, this is so important. Maybe, maybe you got a, maybe YouTube sent you a suggestion to watch us and you can't turn it off because the eternity in your heart is speaking to you right now online, wherever you're at. If you're watching from Malaysia or the Philippines, if you're watching from, from over in Puerto Rico or watching in, 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 in uh, Chile or watching from Peru, God is speaking to you today. God is talking to you today. And with, here it is, folks. With every eye open, every head up. I, I listen, I, I this is eternity. This is eternity. So let's not mess with this. If you're here today and you're going, Pastor Tim, I'm not sure if I walk out this door, if I'm ready to spend eternity in heaven. But today, I want to make the right sense. Something in my heart couldn't leave. I wanted to leave. As soon as I heard the word hell, I'm going, I'm gonna go find a church. I want to find a hellless church. I just want a church that speaks on heaven. Okay, let me tell you something. That's half the truth. That's what it is. 
If you're here today, say, Pastor Tim, something in me says, I'm not ready. I want to be ready for eternity. I want to be ready for, I want to be ready for the Father's house. You're online in the balcony. If you're watching from the annex, those that are here right now, every head up, every eye open, this is eternity. I'm going to make it as hard as I can for you today because this has to be something that comes from your heart and spirit. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to be born again. I want to go to heaven today. If that's you, without any hesitation, raise your hand as fast as you can right now. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Come on, hold them up high. I'm going to see every hand that's up. Keep them up. Keep them up. All up there. All up there. All up there. All over here. Keep them up. Gotcha. Right over there. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Online. Just type in, I want to be born again. I want to be born again. I want to be born again. I got you over there, over there. I see. Hold them up again. Wait, wait a second. Put them back down before we clap for you again. I want to make sure I see every hand because this is the best, this is the most important decision. If you're saying, Pastor Tim, when you pray this born again prayer, I want to be included. I don't want to leave this place without knowing I'm going to heaven. Shoot up your hand right now as fast as you can. Hold them up. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Over there, over there, over there. Got you over there in the back. Balcony, balcony, balcony. I see you all the way in the back of the balcony. Over there, I got you. Come on, let's pray this together. Everybody online, come on, say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it loud now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide, and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.